And we're going to think about what those areas might be in a moment. But it just seems to me that's like a basic thing, really, isn't it? That you would want a mature Christian to be solid, reliable in all sorts of ways. And um, just a couple of scriptures to start off with. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Therefore, my beloved friends, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Steadfast and immovable. Now, they are good words, aren't they? They're solid words. They're foundational words. And um, for every church needs people who are going to be like that in order for us to build. Because I know we build on Jesus. That's who we build on. But also, every church is built on people who are solid, reliable, consistent, who are then able to support and encourage others. Someone put it another way. They said uh, they describe those kind of Christians like scaffolding around the building. They keep everything in place. We need Christians like that. Mature Christians should be like that. Paul in Philippians 4 says, uh, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That's about consistency, isn't it? That's about staying the course. Running the race is another way Paul described it. And uh, I would perhaps suggest that this uh, rather boring, dull word, consistency, is perhaps the most important word we'll think about in this uh, little series that we're doing. It's vital for us. It's important. And it's important not just because we need people like that in the church, but because it reflects the very nature of God. If we are growing into the likeness of Christ, then it says that, you know, our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is consistent, eternally consistent. And we are meant to be like him. And so consistency is about Revealing something of the very nature of who God is. And more than, than ever, I think it's a word that we need to grab hold of. Um, the, so the, the, the current kind of generation of kind of mid-twenties and under, uh, one of the nicknames they're given is the snowflake generation. Because they flip from here to there, never sticking with one thing. Um, and they're only exaggerating something that I think all the other older generations have had for a long time. It's perhaps only really the, the immediate post-war generation who are the kind of steadfast, solid, immovable kind of people because they'd been through stuff that had impacted their lives incredibly. And the rest of us have been living in pretty much eras and generations of wealth and prosperity where we could have anything that we wanted and we're used to that. And when we don't get what we want, we'll go somewhere else. And it's the same in church, isn't it? I mean, we've seen that in this church, even since I've arrived. This church isn't meeting my needs, so I'm blooming well going somewhere else where they will. We can be so flighty and so kind of fickle over all sorts of things. But is that what mature Christianity looks like? I would suggest not. 
It's in, uh, the interesting thing uh, that I experienced when I was doing some, when I was getting all the images for this, when I simply looked up the word consistency for images on consistency, uh, I was amazed at how many images were sporting images. See, cons- all sportsmen and women know the importance of consistency. Simply getting up at the crack of dawn every morning to go training. Sticking with the nutritional plan. Going through the motions of whatever it is they do, whether it's football or running or whatever. Time and time and time again until it's perfected. You see, you don't get to be a world-class footballer, a record-breaking runner or anything like that unless you have consistency. You can't just rock up, do a little bit every now and again and hope for the best. It is consistency that matters. And this series, this whole series, is all about us growing. And so I would suggest to you that consistency is vital to your growth. That you are simply doing the right things all the time. And in doing so, that's how you grow. But let's think a little bit about what consistency might mean. So uh, I want us to think, firstly, in terms of what our public and private face might look like. Are you the same behind closed doors as you are on a Sunday morning in church? Now you might think, well, does it matter what I'm like when I'm on my own and stuff? Well, it does. Because it reflects something of what's in your heart. C.S. Lewis said this, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. And it's easy, isn't it, to put, on a, to put on a face, to put on a show. So you can turn up on a Sunday morning, you can put your hands in the air when they, people are praising God and worshipping, you can pray out loud, you can do all those kind of things, and you can look like you've got it sorted, you may be able to quote scripture to people, uh, but behind closed doors your life's a mess. That will catch up with you eventually. You cannot maintain two faces. And so consistency is about bringing both your public face and your private face together so that they are consistent and the same. That may mean you, in public, being vulnerable about your weaknesses. And it may mean you, in private, maintaining doing the right things that you know you should be doing. even when no one's watching. The uh, image on the screen, there's Richard Gere, handsome devil that he is. Uh, This is part of a series of photographs that were taken by a photographer called Andrew Walker. And what he wants to do is photograph celebrities and ask them to to pose with their public face and take another photo, which he puts at the side, of their private face, something of their private personality. And uh, I've seen about 36 of these that he's done, all exactly the same way, at this wooden desk, dark background behind, uh, and they are fascinating. I mean, that one's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, you can read all sorts of things into that. So how about the next one, Steve? So there's Sandra O, oh, who's been in a BBC series recently. That's fascinating, isn't it? I'm not entirely sure which is the public face, which is the private face. 
But they're both very different, aren't they? They reflect something of the personality she wants to project, which I suspect is the one this side. And then the more insecure, slightly anxious-looking one on that side. Next one, Steve. Uh, this is, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, Rami Malek, he was um, in Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, he played Freddie Mercury. That's fascinating, isn't it? There's a guy who doesn't want to be seen in public. You know, in private, I should say. Uh, next one, Amy Adams. I suspect that's her public face. You know, fun-loving, slightly flirtatious, all that kind of stuff. And then the private one, well, that's full of insecurity, isn't it? Next one. I love that one, Bill Nighy. Hardly any difference. <laughs> it's just a little bit of a you know, thing with the glasses, that's about it. Next one. Anne Hathaway. Isn't it amazing how one of the photographs displays something of kind of anxiety or insecurity or fear? Uh, next one. This is my favourite. Sigourney Weaver. Public face, I'm out of here. It's fascinating, isn't it? And as you look at them, I wonder what kind of rings true for you. What are you showing to others that behind closed doors you are actually something different? We all do it to some extent. We all survive by doing that to some extent. But consistency is about bringing those two worlds, those two faces, closer and closer together. So that you are a person of integrity. Whatever happens behind closed doors is exactly the same as what happens in front of a whole bunch of people. It's easy to put on a show. See, in the end... But we put on a show, don't we? Because we like to, in some way, appeal to other people. That's why you do it. That's why we all do it. We want to be liked. We want to be respected. But in the end, the only show we put on is to an audience of one. And that's God. It's what he sees that matters. And unfortunately, guys... He doesn't just see your public face. He sees you in private. He sees all those little things that you do that no one else sees. All those thoughts that you have, he knows about them. He sees it all. And so our role in terms of living a consistent life should be about trying to live consistently in both the public and the private sphere. Second thing I'd say is this, uh, that we need to treat all people consistently. James chapter 2, verse 1 says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. You know, how you treat the guy sleeping in the doorway should be exactly the same as how you treat some wealthy person who comes through these doors. Or how you treat a celebrity. We should treat everyone the same. We should give everyone the same amount of dignity and concern and love. So when someone who enters into these doors, for instance, on a Sunday morning, who might not look like one of us, 
might smell a bit and be dirty, that we treat them with the same kind of dignity and concern and love that we treat anyone else. And for the most part, we do. And I've told this story before, um, but you know, that uh, um, not so long ago, sometime last year, perhaps this time last year, uh, in Cafe Church, uh, a guy came into church. He, he really stank. I mean, it was, it was not just uncleanness. It was clear that there was a smell of poo around him. And um, there's a whole series of circumstances. And in the end, uh, Karen and Graham went and cared for him. And that couldn't have been pleasant for them. But they showed him a, se- a sense of dignity and love and care. This should be an expression of our Christian, our consistent Christian life. That whether someone comes in who we like the look of, or looks like one of us, or all those kind of things, because we all like to be with people who like to look like us. I don't know if you're aware of that. Just look at your friends. They are probably all a little bit like you in some way. We should treat everyone the same. We should treat everyone consistently. And the other side of that is that you should treat every single person in exactly the same way all the time. So that simply because you've had a bad day doesn't mean that you, on the way home, ring up your mate and lambast them for something that they did ten years ago. Or you go home and shout it out with the wife because you've, you've had a bad day. Consistency in our relationships matters. People should know where they stand with you. Because that's what it's all about in the end, isn't it? They should know where they stand with you. They should know that they can rely on you. We are meant to be a people who love everyone consistently and constantly. And it doesn't matter how you are feeling or what has happened to you that day. You should still treat people in a way that you'd want them to treat you. And in the way that God consistently treats us. With grace and openness and mercy and love. Because in the end, you don't know what their life's like. You don't know what's been in their heart, what's been in their day that day. And so we treat all people with grace and with mercy and with love. We are called to love everyone. Does it show? All the time. I find that a real challenge. The third thing is this. Uh, that circumstances do not dictate to us. So many people who I end up getting to talk to at some point, because of a whole bunch of circumstances, start to think, well, given up on this, this whole Christian stuff. Fed up with it. Why am I in this, in this situation? Why has this happened to me? And they want to walk. In any church setting like this, I'm not going to do it tonight, but I've, I've asked the question, how many of you have felt like that and you thought you want to walk away from Jesus? And you always get a whole bunch of hands go up in the air. And so often we allow circumstances to dictate how we feel about God and how we live our life. I love the story of Daniel. And... Uh, One of the things about Daniel was that he was a consistent man. He was a guy who 
just lived for God, both in the public sphere and the private sphere, whether he was at home in Jerusalem or in exile in Babylon, he just lived for God. And I love there's a, a, a verse in Daniel 6.10, uh, a decree has just been announced banning people from worshipping other gods, uh, which meant that Daniel couldn't worship his god. And it says this, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his god, just as he had done before. He was consistent. Nothing was going to stop him worshipping God. He knew what he had to do, and he did it. And no circumstances around him would stop him from being faithful to God. Because he knew God has always been faithful to him. You have to think of Paul. In prison. Chained. And prisons were not like our prisons. Prisons were grotty, horrible things. There in the prison, worshipping and praising God and praying out loud. Seeking to convert the, uh, the prison keeper. It didn't matter where he was. Paul was who Paul was. There was no side to him. He didn't have a private face. He was just who he was. And circumstances never changed that. And circumstances never damaged his faith in God. And circumstances never tempted him to wander away from God. He just knew that there in that prison cell, God was with him. In the same way as when he was preaching in the synagogue and everyone was raving about him. It really didn't matter where he was because he knew that God was faithful. I was reading this afternoon about, uh, in an article in The Guardian, uh, Chinese Christians are now under persecution again. It is the worst it's been for at least three decades the, uh, the authorities are closing churches down. They're taking crosses out of chapels. Uh, they are rewriting the scriptures uh, to fit the party lines. And uh, they are arresting Christians in huge numbers again. And yet all you hear out of Chinese Christians is, it doesn't matter what they do to me, I will stay faithful. They were interviewing a guy from, um, I think they called it the Early Rain Church, Every single one of their church had been arrested, thrown into prison, and slowly they were being released. Uh, but what the early rain church had been doing wasn't just worshipping God. They were challenging the authorities on justice. That's a dangerous thing to do in China. They were standing up for oppressed people in China. And uh, they, it wasn't the church leader. It was just an ordinary person out of that church said... This is what we've always done. This is what we will always continue to do. Why? Because it's in the Bible and that's what we will do. We will stay consistent to what we've always been. Circumstances would never squash them into some other kind of mould. Circumstances would never stop them from doing what they knew to be right. See, some people view circumstances as some kind of punishment or reward. Things are going well and they think, I must be doing great. God must be on my side. Man, things go against them, they think that God's against them. It doesn't work that way. Your circumstances simply are what they are. God never changes. God is always there with you. And it's about you changing your perspective of those circumstances, to view it from God's perspective, and to see where God is in that place. 
We should never allow circumstances to dictate our faith to us. Next thing is this, that emotions should never determine our faith. I, uh, uh, I passionately believe that the church and Christians should be an emotional people. We should be passionate, that's an emotion. We should be loving, that's an emotion. We should be caring and compassionate, they're emotions. We should be overflowing with emotion, more so than any other people, because we've been set free by Christ to be whole human beings. And part of being whole is to release your emotions so that you can experience emotion properly. And you can display emotion properly. The problem is when we move into what I would call, and some people would call, emotionalism. Where your faith is based entirely on how you feel. That's just the wrong thing to do. Too many people come into, uh, if they've come into an experience of the Holy Spirit, they're like on a high. You know, it's like, wow, that was amazing, that was great. And then six months down the line or a year down the line, it's like, where's it gone? Why don't I feel like that anymore? And so they think that God's left them, that God's not close by, and all those kind of things. We, uh, in my previous church, we experienced quite a lot with people who were addicts because they had that kind of personality and they would get addicted to the buzz of worship. Uh, and new wine was dangerous. They'd go to new wine for a week, they'd experience community, they'd get up every morning and see people, have a chat and all those kind of things and then experience great worship. Of course, the week after, they're doing cold turkey. Where's the buzz? Where's the feeling? But we cannot base our faith on how we feel. See, your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you about where you think God is in your life. See, in the end, we are meant to be seeking fruit in our lives, not seeking a buzz. Being consistent means whatever you feel focusing on what you know to be right and what you know to be true. And not allowing your emotion to dictate how you feel about God or how you feel about how you're going to live your life that day. It's easy to be a Christian when you're on a high, on a mountaintop. It's easy then. But every single one of us gets into the valley at some point And every single one of us gets on that kind of long desert plain where it's just dull for a long period of time. Every single one of us does. But the key should be that we are focusing on what is true and not what we feel. The feelings are great. They're a bonus. But they are not the be-all and end-all. And there'll be times when people come into church and think, oh, it's just dull, I'm bored. Or the Christian life just seems to have plateaued a little bit and they think, where's the buzz, where's the excitement? I think I'm going to try something else. In the end, you've just been a snowflake at that point. You're just chasing after a feeling rather than chasing after God, which is what we're called to do. So let me uh, just move on to, uh, quickly moving on to how to build consistency. 
And it's vital that you think about this and that you start to make sure that you are reflecting on certain things in your life that you know take you up and down and all those kind of things, or maybe even wander away, and that you start to change your life, to live consistently. Now, one of the things I look for the most in those who qualify for leadership is a consistent life. I was t- I've spoken to probably two people this week who, who would love to be in leadership, and they're on the high at the moment, they're buzz, you know, they want to change the world. And I know that in a month's time, I won't even see them, because I've been there before with those people. They, they don't do anything, those kind of people. People who change the world are consistent and steady and immovable and keep doing the right thing no matter what. They're the people who change the world. They're the people who God uses to change lives. Not those who are simply on a high for a moment and then suddenly on a massive low with Jesus the next. So, how do we build consistency? Uh, Ephesians 5, 1 says this, pay attention to how you walk. I love that phrase, pay attention to how you walk. There's been a whole bunch of um, books recently uh, around emotional intelligence. Has anyone come across that phrase? Yeah, okay. So uh, this isn't just intelligence. This is not just your kind of mental capacity to learn things and to know things. Uh, this is about your emotional intelligence in order to how you relate to people, how you are self-aware about your own emotions and all those kind of things. Let me throw another word into you. I think we need to be, have a spiritual intelligence. Do you, are you aware of where you are with Jesus? Not just where you think you are, but are you fully aware of how you are walking with God right now? Because it's easy to put your head in the sand with that. And it's easy to think it's all okay when actually with further reflection and interrogation, you would discover that maybe there's a lot more to do in your life than you thought. See, paying attention to how you walk is thinking about not just what is my prayer life like or what is my Bible reading time like or what is my worship time like, but am I experiencing God in those dull moments of life? Am I aware of the presence of God as I walk through life step by step? Am I aware of the presence of God and the power of God in me? So I'd encourage you to build up a kind of spiritual intelligence, a self-awareness of where you are in your walk with Jesus. That you don't simply pretend that it's all okay when it's not. It's easy to, to pretend, isn't it? It's easy to just kind of wash over certain things in your life and they get all but it's okay. Over here, and my prayer life's great. That's good. But then everything else in your life is starting to fall apart. Your spiritual life isn't simply one part of your life. Your work with Jesus encompasses everything. From how you handle your money, to how you relate to your enemy, to how you are in work, to how you are in your prayer life. We need to develop a reflection on our work with Jesus. We need to base our life on Scripture. And not on circumstances or feelings. 
because in the end, those things will take us down all sorts of paths that we don't want to go down. In the end, we shape our life around. And it's, I mean, I'm saying this, and you all know this, don't you? Yeah, if I asked every single one of you, and I put my hand up here, are you doing 100%? The answer is no. None of you are. But we need to be working on it. We need to keep working on it. And some of it isn't just about how you live your life. It's about the, the kind of the world view you have. How you view the world. Is it a biblical way of viewing the world? Know who you are and whose you are. See, in the end, understanding your identity in Christ is, is a key thing in your walk with Jesus. Understanding who you are now as a new creation, not who you used to be before you came to Jesus, but who you are now is truly one of those things that you need to get your head around because that matters. And who you are is based on the fact that you belong to God. Isaiah 43 talks about, you know, I have redeemed you. You are mine. You belong to God. Who you belong to shapes the way you feel about yourself and feel about the world. You have at some point belonged to your parents and that has shaped you in all sorts of ways, both good and bad. We now have a heavenly father who we belong to. And so that changes the way we think about ourselves. The God of all things, the creator of all things, the author and perfecter of our faith is the one who's both with us and inside us and we belong to him. You matter. You're significant. Your life has meaning because of that. See, when you understand your identity in Christ, then consistency starts to fall into place. That's when your public and your private life start to mesh together better. Because in your public life, if you're performing, then actually you're kind of putting yourself in a place where you think you belong to other people. But we perform for an audience of one. And our identity is in him and him alone. Next is to seek the healing of God. You know, some of our inconsistencies come out of hurt, come out of stuff that's been inflicted on us from other people. And that's why CR, Celebrate Recovery, is so important. You know, I, I, I bang on about it because it's just one of those things that helps people engage with the hurts of their life in a very positive way. And it doesn't matter what you've gone through in life, we all carry hurts of some kind. We all carry stuff in us that shapes the way we behave. That, and that leads to inconsistency. And so I'd encourage you, whenever possible, that you seek God's healing for those things that you become aware of in your life, where you, you know past hurts are still guiding your actions. For a long time, um, I struggled with the fact that I, n- I never thought I was good enough. 
it was kind of, it came out a bit, I mean, my, my parents are lovely, they, they love me, but, you know, things they said and did unintentionally led me to a point where I thought I just wasn't good enough. Uh, every school report I had said, must do better, well, I wasn't good enough. Um, then I failed my A-levels, and well, I'm not good enough, and then I failed my driving lesson, but I'm really not good enough. Uh, it was like a whole bunch of things I failed, and it just felt like I wasn't good enough. And that affected how I related to people. But slowly but surely, over a period of time, God healed me of that. And still there, a little bit in the background, but it's no longer a determining factor in my actions. See, God wants to heal each and every one of us of all the stuff in the past. Every year at New Wine, we we have this big thing about praying for physical healing. But the thing that we pray for the most is the stuff that goes on in people's hearts. And we need to own that. And you know what? When we, we, we offer you prayer on a Sunday morning, uh, I'm surprised that there aren't cues of people saying, I'm messed up, I just need God to heal me. Because I know you're messed up. That's not, yeah. I know you are. Because I am. We all are. Let's own it. Let's be real about it. And seek the healing of God. Because if we're to live a consistent life, we need to have our hearts healed. Next one is take responsibility for your walk with Jesus. Stop blaming other people or situations for the bad decisions you've made. Just stop it. No one believes it. God certainly doesn't. God knows that you just made bad decisions because you weren't living your life based on scripture. Based on what he has already revealed to you. Stop blaming other things. Own it. That's what confession and repentance is all about. Owning the bad decisions that you've made. Lord, I did this. It was wrong. I'm sorry. You can receive the grace and forgiveness of God when you own that. So stop uh, blaming other people. Finally this. Have a servant heart. What do I mean by that? Well, Stop serving yourself, basically. See, some of the inconsistencies in your life are because you are trying to organize life around you. So you want to please other people because of what you might get back from them. You want to serve other people, perhaps because of what you get back from them. In other words, you're serving yourself. Now, Jesus was the only one who had a complete 100% servant heart. But we should be moving towards that point where we are serving others for absolutely no reason at all other than to serve them. To show them the love of God. See, when you stop serving yourself and start treating everyone the same, then you start to live a more consistent life. A life that is consistent with scripture, consistent with the will of God, consistent with the love of God, and consistent with what God wants for your life. Stop trying to get your own way. Your own way with God, or perhaps your own way with the church. Because let's face it, everyone in church 
would like things done differently in church. Every single one of us would, you know. And uh, everyone, oh, no, 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 it needs to be like this. This is what we need. But that is simply your personal preference. Stop trying to get your own way. And have a servant heart that says, well, this is the way that we feel God's going. I don't like it, but that's the way I'm going. I don't like everything in church. I'm a leader and I could change everything if I wanted to. I still probably wouldn't like it. In the end, that is church. There is stuff here that you won't like. Get over it. We are meant to be family. And you know what? I don't like my family all the time. I don't know about you. But when we start serving other people, we put our own preferences to one side. We start to be focused on what God wants for those people and not what we want. So have a servant heart. So let me ask you, where are you inconsistent in your life right now? Is it in some of those things that I mentioned about you know, the public and private face? About how you treat people? About whether circumstances are affecting your faith? Kind of putting you high with God or low with God on, depending on what's going on. Is emotion determining your faith? Maybe there's things on that list that you just know you need to work on right now. So the question is, what is God saying to you out of all of this? And the other question is, thank you. What are you going to do about it? See, if you did those two questions consistently, you would grow. And your life would become more consistent. Because God is always taking you down a particular path. And those two questions, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? are vital questions for each and every one of us. So we're going to uh, worship in a moment. I'm going to pray first of all. And um, for those who haven't and would like to, uh, the bread and wine's here. And um, yeah, so band, well band. (laughs) Mark and Ruth. The duo, that's right, yeah. yeah. Should we stand for a moment? And again, let's just be quiet and be aware of the voice of God. Where is consistency needed for you right now? What is God saying to you? And if you feel God just pointing something out, maybe revealing something in your life, in your heart, in your mind, then the question is, what are you going to do about it? Because God's revealing it so that you can do something about it.
He doesn't just reveal things to us to simply bring us under conviction. And he certainly doesn't do it to bring us under condemnation. He does it to encourage us, to build us up, to open up the possibility of him being at work in that area. Father, I thank you that uh, the Bible is full of people who live their lives consistently. And they, they had flaws and they were weak in all sorts of ways, but Lord, they sought to live their life for you. We thank you, Lord, for uh, Christians that we might know who seem to live that consistent Christian life, who are never kind of uh, up nor down, depending on their circumstances or their emotions. They simply knew you and rejoiced in you each and every day. They live their life for you. And Lord, you lived your life through them. We thank you, Lord, for those Christians who live their lives consistently all around the world, even in the face of severe persecution. Lord, I pray that you would help us each be more more in line with the truth each and every day. More in line with your will, whether that's in the public space or the private space. Help us, Lord, to live lives that are consistently focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.